Welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. So we're going to talk about being resilient, resilience. And you guys know, you guys know why we're talking about this topic, right? Like, after the last couple of years, you know, you know why we need to have a sermon about resilience and resilience, right? All right. I don't know that I need to explain it, but here's a definition of resilient. It's a person able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. And this is a cool one. Able to, this is for an object, but I think it's a, just a cool definition. Able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. There's a lot of compression going on, right? Um, so we're going to, this is something, a tool, they talk a lot about this in psychology also, this idea of being resilient, right? What does that mean? And one thing it's not is just white-knuckling life. That's not if you hear that today, that's not what I was saying at all, okay? It has nothing to do with that, this, this idea of this toxic kind of toughness and, you know, you're never vulnerable and you just kind of like power through life. That is not what it means to be resilient because there's actually no real bending in that. There's no real flex in that. So that's not what we're going to be talking about today. But there's, there's some signs. <laughs> this might be a sobering thing, right? I'm going sh- to share with you guys some signs that we may need some help with our resilience, or to be more resilient, right? And here are some of them. Irritability and anger. We can get a little bit more combative with, combative with people. Persistent illness was surprising. It's when resilience is low, you tend to get sick more often because your immunities are depressed. Trouble sleeping. Uh, isolating ourselves or becoming overly clingy, one or the other. You kind of go to that one or the other extreme. Moodiness, extreme highs and lows. Overreaction to normal stress. Easily depressed and crying, poor memory, and then a lack of hope that can also result in cynicism or a lack of concern. So over the past few years, I imagine many of us have experienced or felt some of these to one, one degree or another, right? We've been really tested. I know I have. I've felt almost all of these, yeah. I mean, as I'm looking at it, I was talking to Lamisha, my wife, the other night, and I was like, yeah, babe, I think God work on some resilience here, you know. It's definitely an opportunity for all of us to be resilient people and to be a resilient church as well. Because we're going to need resilience in the coming months, the coming years, whatever uh, <laughs> this earth has in store for us in the coming months and years. Uh, and I just think, you know, if you look at things, and you know, I'm, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't necessarily see Christianity being more embraced and more accepted in the coming months and years. Like, I don't necessarily get that sense. Um, I get a sense that it, it actually can get, it might get it harder to be a Christian, you know, and there might come a time even for our fellowship where people are fired just for being a Christian, right? It's possible. We don't know. We hope not. I really do hope I'm wrong or kicked out of school or accused of something crazy just because you attach yourself or associate yourself uh, as a Christian. And, you know, we enjoyed a good run for a while if this, ha- if this is the case. <laughs> Right, we enjoyed a pretty good run, right? Things were relatively chill for a pretty long time. Um, but I'm not sure the run's going to continue. And even if I'm totally wrong on that, there will be life situations that all of us will face, regardless of how, you know, Christianity is perceived in the world, that where we will need to be resilient for those moments. So, so here's the thing is if tough times aren't there, then our resilience, we can afford to be less resilient. But as tough times increase, we need to also increase our resilience. And the feeling will be the same. 
right? It will end up being feeling the same. It's just we have to adapt our resilience to the circumstances. You know, I think the question is, is do you think you'll be able to stay faithful through those type of adversities? You know, do you think you will be able to stay faithful through those type of adversities? How do you do in your faith when adversity hits? So we're going to share with you guys today a little bit about how we can be more resilient, right? How we can grow in being more resilient. And the first thing is having strong relationships. Everywhere, you know, you look within psychology, within the Bible, and there's these great overlaps where you see this idea of community and relationships. It's everywhere when it comes to being resilient. Like being able to have supportive people, loving people, healthy relationships. This is a major, major part of us being able to withstand difficult situations. It's so much harder to go through difficult situations when we're just by ourselves. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4 through 10, some of them I'm going to have on the screen, some, screen. Some of them were just too long, so you'd have to like read these little tiny letters. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, it said, oh, I'll let you guys get there or uh, tap there. If you're Raymond Maldonado. Sorry. I always have to shout out at least one team every Sunday service. Okay. By the way, my wife and I, we serve in the youth and family ministry. So I just want, you guys don't know, don't know me, that's, that's what we do here. So yeah, and, and we love them and they're awesome. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is deep, this idea that we together are being built into a spiritual household. It's deeper than just saying we're friends. Right? It's, it's, it, we depend on each other. We lean on each other the way stones in a building depend on each other. Like the stone beneath another stone has to be reliable, right? We have to, it has to have a, a healthy, so to speak, relationship with the other stone. And it all starts with that cornerstone, which for us is Jesus, right? If you, if you come from a Christian paradigm, which is why we're here in church, right? Our cornerstone is Christ. And everything starts there. And we begin to be built by God into this incredible, strong, fortified house. Peter says not even the gates of, I'm sorry, Jesus says not even the gates of Hades can overcome the church, right? It's incredible the strength that we have when we are united, when we are together, when we can lean into that level and that degree of connectedness. You know, we are meant to be in each other's lives. We are meant to, to, to recognize that we're actually part of something special. We are meant to be a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, all of us collectively together, right? And what's the point of 
being a priest, according to the, it's, it's so that, you know, we're going to convey these deep truths of God, right? We're going to help people see God and know God. And we need to be able to depend on each other and lean on each other for that. My question is, is do we have that degree of relationships, right? Do, do you feel like you have that degree of relationships? Because if not, I would imagine that anytime something hard has happened to you or will, it's going to be really hard not to be broken by it. Because if resilience is about also being within a community that's safe and healthy and supportive, then to not feel that and to not have that will mean that you're going to hurt. Real, it's going to be a lot harder to bounce back for you from struggle, right? So it's not just about, hey, yeah, you got to... You need to see your face. It's, no, 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 it's, it's having deep relationships where we are really relying and depending on each other. Um, this is a great, uh, wait, let me get this. So this is from the uh, American Psychology Association. They said, many studies show that the primary factor in resilience is having caring and supportive relationships within and outside the family. Relationships that create love and trust, provide role models, and offer encouragement and reassurance, help bolster a person's resilience. Sounds a lot like what we read in Hebrews, right? Like encourage one another daily, right? It's, it's kind of like this, this idea that we want to foster this kind of environment, right? This is, and this obviously the Bible knows, psychology is just able to confirm a lot of things that the Bible already has taught us, that we need each other. Um, I want to show you guys, this is, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of loneliness, you know, and, and especially young adults, but it's been for all of us. And this is, uh, you know, Barna Group did this, and this was a few years ago. But 77% said they feel, you know, a lot of things around the world, uh, that, that, that things matter to them, right? And then uh, and 32% said, I often feel someone believes in me. So the mi- it's, it's, a, it's a minority of people, especially young adults, that feel like somebody believes in them, right? So while we're, you know, a lot of times worrying about ourselves, we have, you know, whether it's teens or, young, or campus or young adults, that are wondering if anybody cares about them. And it's such, it was so convicting for me because it's like, man, I could be so selfish sometimes thinking about my problems when, like, there's a young kid or there's a, there's a teenager or there's a young adult who needs to feel believed in by me. But I'm, I'm like, dying. I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, I want to feel believed in, you know. Like, like, no, no, no. Like, I have an opportunity to be a difference maker, to be the change that I want to see, right. And we all have that same opportunity because we all need it. You know, and especially, you know, this, yeah, everything that, you know, the, the teens and the campus, and I know you guys as well have had to face with the social media and just kind of how it can get so toxic sometimes, right? And you guys know we use social media to really try to, you know, show who God is to the world, but it can also be really just a hard place to, to, to have to go to. It's definitely not a refuge, right? So... So we need to be those voices because you can't let social media try to be the voice to help encourage and support somebody. We got to really be that for each other in an authentic and real way. Amen. I don't know if you felt loneliness in the past couple years, but there is a pandemic. And there's a lot of, you know, threats to our relationships, right? Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of threats to having amazing, authentic, incredible relationships. I'll share a couple of them and I want to share for me personally. But I think a few are a lack of authenticity and vulnerability. So this is like, you know, you just try to fake it, acting like you're good all the time. When you, you know, it's like, y'all know we all struggle, right? You know, this is, you know, parents, parents are, can be guilty of this. Sorry, I got to make, 
get on the parents for a little bit. I'm an advocate, you know, for the teens. But sometimes parents can, like, you know, we, we got it all figured out. You know, they can present a polished, um, you know, image, right, to their, to their kids. And so, and that's a, that's a real temptation. I'm not saying that I'm not going to fall into those same traps as my son uh, gets older. Uh, but, but, but the teens and everybody else, right, for all of us, they know you're not perfect, right? They know that. So to act it, so there's a dissonance, right? There's like, no, something's off here because you're, you're acting like you got everything figured out. But I know you don't have everything figured out because I live with you, right? So you definitely don't. So we might as well just like, you know, be a little bit more okay uh, with uh, being vulnerable and authentic about some of, some of the messiness in an appropriate way, right? Okay. All right, second thing is not prioritizing it. You know, sometimes we just don't prioritize deep relationships. Like we don't, we don't think it's actually as important as it is. But if you want to be resilient, you will prioritize it. And if you don't want to be resilient, you won't, right? That's your choice, right, whether or not you want to do that. So for me, I, I, had to, I emailed and called a bunch of guys. I was like, man, we got to start like a warrior group, you know. We got to do like this warrior group, and I just need these friendships and relationships. And one of the brothers said, Pat, why are you doing this? Like, do you, I, think, I don't know if he was asking because, like, do you think we need to grow? I'm like, no, I'm trying to grow. Like, you know, <laughs> I need help. I, I need this group. I need these friendships. Right, so we so we started that. It's been awesome. You know, another thing that I want to talk and share a little bit about, also personally, is I think a big threat to our relationships can be just a lack of forgiveness. Um, I was I was uh, past couple years, so we had we had our son a, a little bit before pandemic began, and and we pretty much have raised him like for the most part within pandemic. So I'm trying to figure out this transition uh, within within a pandemic, trying to learn how to be a dad. And you've probably read a lot of articles about this, but when, when both parents are working from home and their, their, their child is with them, it becomes, there's a different dynamic there because it's really nice on the one hand to be able to spend a lot of time, but then it's really hard on the other hand to feel like you're never doing enough for, for your son, for, your, any, for anybody, right? And it's been, especially I feel for, for Lamisha because there's even that hard wiring as a mom uh, that's like, you know, sh- there could be that feeling like I'm not enough for anybody, right? And so, so wh- I'm going through all of these different transitions, which is probably normal stuff, right? It's nothing out. The only thing abnormal was the fact that it was happening in pandemic. And then, then on top of it, having di- like different things happening throughout pandemic that turned out to be hard, right? I mean, for all of us, so like hard conversations or not seeing eye to eye. It's like, oh, the first time I'm like, I'm disagreeing with a lot more people on a regular basis. Like, and I was just like, oh, this is, this is like really hard, you know. And it was kind of, I think it's out of sight, out of mind because I don't, I didn't always even think about myself as like, oh, I'm a dad now. That comes with a shift for me, right, because you're in your own bubble, right. So a lot of people didn't even see us being parents and I didn't necessarily see myself being a parent. So I didn't even really adapt. I didn't adapt well. I just kind of just kept going, right? And so all these other things would happen, and then I started feeling anger towards people, right? I, was, I, would, I would leave a certain, you know, conversation, and I would be mad. And it would stick with me longer than usual, right? And maybe, like, not being able to come to church and take communion together and all those things, I think maybe that had something to do with it, but I don't know exactly why, but probably lack of resilience, <laughs> started sticking with me a little bit longer, you know, this lack of forgiveness, this anger. And I was talking to Lamisha about it in, the car, in one of our car rides. We were like, I was like, man, 
I don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to shake this. Like, it just needs to stop because I know it's not right. And I don't want to keep thinking. I'm not, it's like intrusive almost. I'm like, what's going on? And Misha's like, it's one of those Amisha moments where I'm like angry, but I'm like, yeah, that's why I married you. She was like, babe, I think you really need to study out some statistics. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, oh, oh, man. And she's so, it was so right. <laughs> she was 100% on. I, I, I didn't want to give her the satisfaction of knowing that in the moment. Because I'm like, oh, man. There's a part of you like, I just want you to listen and I'm venting. You know, like, you do that to me, so that's what I'm doing. No, but she really helped me. I, it was kind of like enough was enough. It's time to figure this out. You know, it's time to, for, you, for you to start really trying to understand what's happening. And um, I just was really, I was blown away by that. And I'm really grateful to have a wife that will share those things with me. And, and so I started studying out forgiveness, and I, and, and I, and I realized a few things. And I'm going to share vulnerably, okay? I'm not perfect, guys. I'm working on myself. And, and so one of the things when I feel hurt that I realize this is a new one is that I could ruminate a little bit over they might get what they deserve, though. Right? Like, and I, I wouldn't mind that. I, might, I think I might enjoy them seeing them get what they deserve, like this moment of vindication for me, right? Like you hurt me, so you're going to end up being hurt, right? And even enjoying the thought of that, right? And, and so this idea of, in my mind, them getting what they deserve, and I've, as I kept studying out forgiveness, I was like, huh. And I looked at Jesus on the cross, right? And he, he literally just got tortured to death. And he actually prays to God in that moment, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. So what he's praying for, even though they actually deserve, we actually deserve punishment, is he's praying that they don't get what they deserve. He was able to pray, God, don't hurt them. Even though they're torturing me, don't let them get what they deserve. Spare them from that. Right? And I was just so convicted by that, I, I started praying. For, for people that, I've, that I felt hurt by. I just started praying to God that they wouldn't get what I thought they deserved, right? That, that God would bless their lives and be there for them and give them amazing things. And I started thinking through all these. And my heart began to change through that process. It changed a lot. And I had a lot of great conversations as well. But I think when we're, when we're struggling to forgive, we're not going to be connected. Right? When, we're, when we have a lack of forgiveness, we're struggling. We're not going to be able to have the type of relationships. And therefore, we're not going to be able to be resilient people or a resilient church for that matter. So that's having strong relationships. I want to talk about another thing. It's being moldable. So being moldable, allowing God to mold you. So this idea of being able to spring and bounce back, there's, it implies a level of, like, flexibility. Right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 through 12. Um, I got this up there. It says, they, and it's referring to like uh, earthly fathers at first. It says, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Let the hard times train you. It says we will have a harvest of righteousness if we let the hard times train us. If we, if we are able to adapt, I mean, you hear about people reinvent themselves and letting, I think in this case it's like letting God mold you. 
You know, it's not necessarily something we do and say, I'm going to reinvent. It's letting God mold you, being able to see what's going on, what God is trying to teach you, and you're transforming through it. Like, you're changing through it. And and we can, there's, I mean, obviously when we repent, we get baptized, that is an amazing transformational moment. But it's not the only transformation throughout your discipleship. We should be continuing to transform throughout our Christianity. You know, I feel like as a church, I'm really encouraged because we've undergone a metamorphosis. It has been hard. Think about the caterpillar to the butterfly. There's a struggle there, right? There's a struggle that you have to go through to come out the other end, change, transform, something better, something different. You know, we've leaned into every conversation. We've, we've assessed our organizational framework. We've made radical changes based on what God is teaching us. I think about how we upgraded our digital ministry. Uh, we've revisited our organizational paradigm. We created a squad team that's doing incredible work. Uh, we're, I, I believe that as a congregation, we're really trailblazing in some awesome ways. But it's been because we've, we have to adapt. You know, it's not, it, some people would say, oh, it's, it's compromised. No, no, no. This is what it means to adapt to what's happening around you. Like we have to, if you, and, and, and the reason I can say that confidently is because I read a lot of church history. Like I read about different turning points throughout church history. And this is, this has been one of them. If you guys don't know, the last two years has been, if in the history books for church history, it's going to go down as one of the turning points for all of Christendom. Right? So we have to be able to adapt. We have to be able to allow God to mold us as a church, but also mold us as individuals. How about you, though? Have you made adjustments? Have you adapted? Have you done the same thing? Have you allowed God to reveal things to you? Have you let God train you? A part of resilience is that ability to be flexible and adapt. My wife and I, we were on the mission field for about two and a half years in Madrid, Spain. I remember being over there, and and there, from time to time, there would be people that would come via internships to Madrid, Spain, from different churches in the U.S. And, and they would come over, and they came, you know, everybody has a way of doing things or a certain paradigm for which they feel like, oh, this is how to be like the best Christian you can be, and this is what it looks like uh, to be a Christian, right? And so, and so those, and I'll tell you what, seeing different people that came over, it were those that were most willing to be flexible in their thinking, like this would be like a culturally flexible, those, really it's humility, you know, those that were willing to do that were, were those that did incredible when they came over to Spain. And the ones that ended up depressed, they ended up hiding out in their rooms, they ended up feeling like a lower self-esteem, and eventually some of them even left to go back home early, were those that were rigid in their thinking. Like those that were unwilling to be flexible in their thinking, they just were, they kept coming up against walls and they're like, why am I getting all this pushback? Because all this stuff works where I'm from. All this stuff, people love it where I'm from, right? But they wouldn't understand. This isn't where you're from though, right? So you're expecting them to adapt to you. You need to actually be willing to move for them, right? Like that's why you came, right? To serve, not to impose, right? So, so serve and love. And they, they, it was a really, really hard thing to, to help open and expand them a little bit, right? And so I say that to say, we, let's be flexible. Because we, we don't have to, there's certain things that it's like, man, I, this isn't that hill to die on. 
Like I can, I can be, I can flex. I could be a. There are hills to die on for sure. Like what it means to be a Christian, salvation. Like we can go over all the things and hills to die on, but there's some that aren't. So let's be culturally flexible. Let's be just moldable and teachable by God. And I want to just add a caveat here. It's don't confuse all transformations with being from God, right? So you might say I changed over the last two years. Well, you have to look at that. Did I change because of God or for something else, right? You know, and how do we know? I think the truest test of godly transformation, transformation is a result in a greater amount of love. I think if your transformation that you underwent, if you're saying, hey, I underwent a transformation, if it produced a greater amount of love, then we can, you can be confident it's from God. If it produced less amount of love, you have to ask what changed you, what transformed you. Right in 1 John chapter 4, 16 through 21, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. These are some strong words. Essentially what it's saying is that if you claim to love God and hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. That's what it says. Right? So if your change has, has, has resulted in hate or, or less love, you have to ask, am I connected to Jesus? Am I, really, am I really connected to the head or have I lost connection with the head that is Christ through that, right? And, and I've, I've been to the depths of like, like bad thinking, toxic, all of these things that probably we've all had to deal with throughout the last two years. So I'm preaching this to myself and to you guys. We're in this together and we will get through this together because we're going to lean and rely on each other through this journey so that we can get through it together. Last thing for today to share, I wanted to share about in terms of um, really being able to be resilient. And I love this one. I want to encourage you guys with this one. It's being able to find yourself in the story. Find yourself in the story. This is like any of the, the, the teens that leave for college or even uh, before Quentin went to do the, um, the, the, the service. Ah, man, I forgot the name of it. Chance of a Lifetime. I was like, Quentin, you know, I was like, Here, here's my advice, the best advice I could give you. I said, Whatever happens, just try to find your situation in the Bible. Just try to find your story, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. Try to find that in the Bible because it will make sense to what's happening. And you will also know how to respond to it. You also know how to be resilient in that moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, 32 through 40, this, is, this will get you guys fired up. Well, it gets me fired up. I hope it does for you too, all right. Uh, verse 32, it says, and what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You know, the people of God, like why is the Hebrew writer writing this? He's, he's trying to encourage the, the, this Hebrew, the, the audience not to drift away from their relationship with God. He's saying, remember, like what people have been able to accomplish throughout our history. Right, remember that. And, and, and the Israelite nation, they always had this incredible way of recalling and, and being able to find, okay, but you remember when Moses had to do this and David did this. It's like being able to put, bring that story to life for them. And you read these and it's like these constant references to things that they all know about. It's in their collective history, their collective memory. They all know where he's going with this. They've been able to recall these stories. And when you can find your situation in the Bible, you can anchor yourself to it. A lot better. You can draw strength from stories in the Bible. I want to give you guys just a few uh, examples here. And we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, the trick to this, though, is you have to be honest with yourself first. To be able to find yourself in the story, you have to know where you're even at. Right? Because if you think I'm here and you're not there, then you're going to find yourself in a story that's not for you. Sometimes, You know what I mean? You have to first say, where am I? What do I see? Right? What do I feel? What's going on with me? What's going on in the things I see around me? And so you have to be able to first figure that out. And what's, what's hard about that is that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we have to fight through some self-deception even to be able to figure out where are we. Right? We all have this incredible capacity to be self-deceived. So we got to be able to really try to pray and, and ask God to show us where are we. Where am I? If it's hard for you to sometimes process how you feel, where you're at, you can engage God in that. Engage God in that prayer life, in that time. You know, for me, here's a few suggestions. Here's a lot. I'll try to put them on the app later. But, you know, here's some things. You know, if you feel like you want to see people get what they deserve, you can check out Jonah. If you feel like everything's gone wrong, read Job. When you want to, like, change the game or you're grieved on behalf of God's kingdom, read Nehemiah. If you feel like you just, you're just waiting for things to get better, better, read Exodus. You feel emotionally up and down, all over the place, Psalms. Feel undisciplined, Proverbs. Depressed and lonely, you can read about Elijah. You feeling grief, going through a hard time, Ruth. Feel like everything is point, pointless, including religion, you can read Ecclesiastes. All right? If you're looking for inspiration, you want to be mission focused, you can read the book of Acts. You feel like you're too young to make a difference, you can read First and Second Timothy. Feel like you want to quit, read Hebrews. Feel like you don't know how to navigate culture and diversity, read Romans. Feel like the church is a disaster, read First and Second Corinthians. Feel like God has abandoned you, read Hosea. Feel like there's a war going on around you, you can't explain, read Revelation. Okay? You guys, it's all there. It's all there. Like, connect with what you feel and then check it out. Read, read something where you can see yourself in the story. I think we have a lot of room to grow in being able to have even this with each other. Where I can know how you feel so much so that I can even, like, recommend the type of book that might help you. You know, if you need help with that. You know, if somebody's been in the faith for, like, a long period of time, somebody you respect, ask them, like, here's, say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Like, is there a good book for me right now? What would you recommend? Like, these are good, healthy conversations for us to have, and I think we should have more of them. To really figure out and direct each other with Scripture and, and where, where can we go in the Bible. 
right? Because that's where people are going to have to be anchored, not to you as a person, but to the, to the scriptures, amen? You know, let's, let's have those amazing conversations. You know, wrapping up today, we have an opportunity to make a few decisions today. You know, we can decide that we want to grow and be a resilient church, that we want to be resilient people. Um, you know, hard times are going to keep coming. And I think we can let go. We can, we can make a decision. Hey, I'm going to let go of the way things were. I'm not going to hold on to this idea of the way things were. And I'm not just going to have just hold on to this hope of, like, the way things will be. We know the hope is when we die and we get to go to heaven. All right? It's not, it's not for this world, right, that we have hope. It's often just because we get to spend eternity with Christ. Right? So we, I think so much of me is like, oh, when things go bad or when things get bad. It's like, no, this is what it is right now. And for all we know, it's going to stay as it is, okay, until God says otherwise. So let's embrace and lean into this present time, right, and really, really embrace what God is trying to do with us. You know, lean into that fellowship. Lean into those relationships, guys. It's hard, I know. I want to be by myself a lot of times when I'm going through hard things. I don't necessarily want to express. I can express a lot to my wife, and then I, you know, overwhelm her. So, like, lean into, lean into these relationships, that we can have. I got, you know, Rick Velez, Stan Wayne, they're always asking me, how are your relationships going, bro? I'm like, Leo, leave me alone. Like, nah. like all, right, all right, fine. Like, you know, I'm going to hang out with like 5,000 people this week, you know, and then you'll have to deal with me being burnt out. But no, I love the fact that, that people ask me, like, how are your relationships going? How are things in your life, right? And I'm just really grateful for that. You know, figure out where God may be trying to mold and shape you. And lastly, find yourself in the story and we will be more resilient. Thank you, guys. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.